Um, ready to rock? You ready to rock? I'm Matt Robinson. I'm Noah Bissell. And this is Graining In. Jake Hill. Play the music. I'm in the mood to be slow and careful. My body's ready for a mountain climb. All of a sudden it will all become lovely. The flower that opens in the morning light. Warp speed right through that Warp intro. Warp speed right to it. Because yep. this is a conversation that we have been excited to have for a very long time. Yes. We are are sitting in the office of one of my truly top three brewing brewing idols, Dan Cleveson. Um, thank you so much for having us here, it's, man. It's great to chat with you guys. And quite the, uh, you know, I thought... You know, maybe some some tech CEO might be back here because this office, this open. I've got a couple things I'd like to say to Zucks. To be honest with you, it looks like you might be around the corner. The here setup is is so cool in here. No. I mean, as I say that, just as I was starting to warm up, AC clicked on. Yep. it's magic. It's oh, totally yeah. it magic. It and and uh, thank you also for for installing the sound sound mats. Before they were installed our, just for you guys. Our, uh, yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Yep. That's hospitality. It's yeah. fine. But truly, beautiful offices in a beautiful place, and and thank you for taking the time to to sit down with us here today as I think for totally different reasons as we'll get into a little bit, but main beer company was one of the most formative breweries for, for both of us in, in getting into beer in the, in the very different ways that we did. And I know Noah's about to unload on, on a bunch of those <laughs> yes. ways yep. because it does all come back home to where, uh, Bissell brothers first started. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, I, I tell this story a, a lot to really anyone that'll listen. Um, right up there with the Rob and Jason showing up on our first brew day, the, you know yeah. that we we told on that episode. But I've just kind of benchmark like, wow, this industry's a good is is composed of very good people. Um, and that was you know we're kind of in the middle of funding, middle of trying to find a place. Um, Pete and I both working at the Pig full time, so this would have been back. Uh, probably early 2013, I, w- I would say yeah. at that time. And, you know, just on a regular shift, open up for lunch. And I realized I had a, a missed call, um, and voicemail on my phone, um, was not smartphone at that, at that time. <laughs> so it was like kind of the only thing you were looking for <laughs> right. if you had, if you had right. a missed call. Um, and it was your brother, Dave kind of dropped this really cryptic message of like, Hey Noah, uh, it's Dave from NBC. Call me back. And, the fact alone that he knew my name at that, at that <laughs> stage was like, what? Uh, you, you know, it was just like name, name a someone on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And it could have been that could have been your brother. right? Then, <laughs> um, and so it turned out after kind of like con- collecting myself, calling Pete to make sure I should return the call <laughs> out of yes, out of sheer yes, nerves. Yes. 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 Um, it, uh, he was. He informed us that you guys were looking to move um, out of your spot in industrial way, and it didn't quite register to me at the time. For me, it was just like great a space. Um, that that sounds awesome. It was a brewery, great. But over time, I kind of realized. I mean, that was probably close to close to six figures that we saved by moving in there, which is the, the things you don't realize or think about when you're, you know, planning a brewery, mm. um, is hard piping of any sort. Yes. Like, yes. Steam isn't really something you're thinking of, you know, where are you going to get the heat? Like it just not home brewing. It's mind. so natural. Yeah. Mm. Uh, or at least I shouldn't, I shouldn't speak in broad strokes, certainly for me. Um, and then same thing with the glycol chiller, 
we, you know, purchased the units off you, but the rest was just was there. And I, um, man, oh man, that was such a lifesaver, probably even earned us a few months even on opening time. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was great for us too. Cause we were, you know, we were looking to move and, um, you know, our land, we, we were renting the place like, like you guys did. We didn't yeah. own the building. And so if we moved and another brewery didn't move in there, you know, the landlord oh, certainly yeah. would have said, all right, take all this piping off the wall, get this boiler out of here, get this glycol chiller yeah. out of here, uh, fix it all up so I can, you know, get another tenant in. Um, and so we were thinking, of, you know, obviously we, we knew you and your brother from hanging out at the pig quite a bit and, and, and drinking beer and. Um, we knew you guys. I you knew know. you. I didn't think you knew me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which yeah. made the call well, so first, surprising. Like, who's, who's, who's the guy walking around in the Tampa Bay Devil Rays hat? <laughs> oh, he did know. He really did know you. Like, who's a Devil Rays fan someone up on here? that paper. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that but we knew you were starting a brewery. So, so my brother's like, well, let's let's call them up. Maybe they want to move into our building. We can, you know, we'll sell them the stuff on the on the cheap. And it saves us the hassle of having to remove it and kind of pay it forward and Totally. Know, let, let a let a you know a new brewer come in and and use the infrastructure that you know obviously a lot of trial and error on our part getting that stuff installed and working correctly but <laughs> it's glad to hear you guys you know it saved you guys some time and some money oh and my god probably a, a few snafus here and there you know of learning how to install glycol lines <laughs> yeah. and, and steam and steam piping and all that I, I remember kind of maybe stuff. a few weeks uh in you know some some maybe a month in um so there was for the boiler for anyone that doesn't know you don't want water on your boiler that we did not know that at that time you <laughs> nor, nor did we like, we learned the hard way you did yeah. too and oh, you yeah. had kind of erected and left sort of like a plexiglass like that, that was our water barrier yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it did do that but you know there was so much downtime comparatively then it was like oh you're we would just show up to the brewery every day and just kind of fucking be there yep. yeah. some days. Other days, there was a lot to do. Other times, you'd just be there and create something to do. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, that was just, you know, militant hosing of, of every <laughs> everything in sight. So I think on a day with a lot of time, Pete moved the, the screen and just sprayed the fuck out of the <laughs> boiler. And then, then um, trying to... I think the boiler was running maybe at the time and well, not it for stopped long. running. Not at, for long. Yes. And, Turns out fl open flames don't like water. Yes. Um, it's crazy. Yeah. It is, it's crazy Or electronic stuff. circuit yeah, boards. They don't like water. I know. I know. It's wild <laughs> that I... Uh, but, no, you know. no, it only took us by about five months to figure that out too. So... <laughs> so after kind of fumbling around and just being like, uh, I don't think we were brewing, but I think there was some reason it was pretty critical. I mean, everything you do is critical at that oh, time because yeah. like mm. it's just scary and, you know, um, and again, the lifeline, um, phone a friend, yep. quote unquote, at that time, still <laughs> uneasy to call you a friend. Well, you don't then. think about any of that crap, too, when you're going from like being a home brewer like I did. No, like, and like no. you did. You don't, no. you don't you don't you're you you know how to make beer and develop recipes, but you don't know crap about glycol lines no. and again steam, steam and, pipe and, and you know you're, you're using a protein tank a turkey fryer and a 40 gallon stainless steel yeah pot. the bio classic baby <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, like, doing all the work. <laughs> so the, the, you know when you when you step it up to the next level yeah. and, and get into the realm of you know i'll put it in quotes professional brewing right yeah you're, there's a lot of infrastructure that you're like that a, pro, yeah. a new propane tank can't help you with. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. you can't just go um, out to Seven Eleven and, and, and <laughs> right and get more fuel. Um, and and I mean beyond that, it was just like wild to know. I'm not like a 
uh, superstitious or spiritual really person in the way of like, oh, the space like has seen. But, I, you know, I made some concessions there when it was like, this was where NBC like, this is just crazy. Sometimes it would just hit me. And so anyway, that was just another really those just two moments of like. The. This is wild. This is wild that we're the, we're even in this position for this to be happening to us, you know. So, so thank you for that. Um, and I guess you're welcome for taking the the piping <laughs> yeah, off your hand right. if you want if you want to say that. But I will. No, that's, that's I, you probably. are welcome for all the peeper I sold. I'll, yeah, that's I will, right. I'll be, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Well, I, I I I appreciate that. That's yeah. Very 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 flattering. Now let's move on. Well, let's <laughs> flatter you about beer. Then well, I, I got to say one more because you are the beer side. But even me, who got into beer much later, that's kind of in a loose way what some of this podcast has been kind of the two very different angles to it and then someone who's so deep into it kind of guiding me along and then other listeners do the same thing in learning about the more technical stuff or the tasting notes or whatever it may be but in getting ready for this I was looking back and truly the first beer that I had that that I took a picture of or put on Instagram or did any of those things was dinner by main beer company and kind of getting a minute to just sit back and think about where I fell in love with beer and how it came to me and all that stuff. It was main beer company all over the place. That's awesome. Um, so very, very cool to be sitting in these well, chairs talking to you. And thanks, now, thanks for drinking our beer, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. That's so never, that's never been a problem. It's a, it's a virtuous cycle, sure. man. You keep yeah. drinking beer. We'll keep making it. Well, I didn't drink it. I just took a picture and put it on Instagram. <laughs> but <laughs> And when you're talking about continuing to drink them, um, I also, I'm sure set the record for drinking peeper at the pig and, it, you know, had, had to make up for with the same. Um, But I think when we do talk about when I think about sort of the um, heartbeat, I guess, or backbone of your beers, it is that by a lot of comparisons, especially currently that hyper dryness. Um, Would you agree with that or? That our beers are the, that are dry. Yes, yeah. in, in the IPA, in the hoppy sense. Yeah, like, I, I would. Um, yeah, they're definitely kind of uh, dry or, or clean, clean finishing. I guess clean would be just like I to that to the point before I had had Peeper lunch. There was just this mercurial kind of quality that yeah, I'd had what plenty of West Coast IPAs, yeah. plenty of fresh stone and stuff, but this was just different in a little way that was hard to put my finger on, but whatever kind of melange of things made them makes your beers just so drinkable. Well, thank you. But I mean, what, when I was, you know, I think as a home brewer where we all kind of take our inspirations from a host of different beers that we've tried. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and then we, you know, we try to create our own kind of profile from that, those, that collective experience of drinking, you know, other people's beers. And, you know, I, I kind of forged, a, a identity for my recipes. That was kind of a combination of what I enjoyed from West coast IPAs, um, which was, you know, obviously very hop forward, dry hopped, which is, you know, not something that was necessarily synonymous with, you know, East coast style IPAs, mm. which have a, a British, lineage yeah. um and certainly not 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 dry hop to the extent that that we dry hop our beers and you yeah. know that that brewers nowadays kind of just assume um in using american you know hop hop varietals but in it but beyond that um what i wanted to what, what i thought i could improve upon was 
um, letting some of the hop flavor and aroma come through more and dialing back on kind of an aggressive bitterness, which yep. again is a mm. very California style IPA, sure. um, which I think then lends to that much more kind of cleaner finish on the beer and really lets you, let's, I think, um, yeah. experience kind of that, that burst of hop aroma and hop flavor and really lets the hops uh, shine through. So, you know, our malt, all of our malt bills are relatively straightforward. Mm-hmm. We use a very clean, you know, Chico ale mm. yeast. Again, mm-hmm. just, it was all really mm. just focused on how can I get as much hop flavor and aroma into this beer yet has, have it still be balanced and, and clean. And that was, those are always kind of the guiding principles for, and they still are for all of our yeah. recipes. I was going to say, like, if you clean look at, balanced. if you look at just sort of the archetype of an MBC IPA still now, uh, 11 years later. Yep. I mean, years. seems like it hasn't changed that much. Certainly no, to when I, it s- hasn't. since when I've started drinking that and man, oh man, is that, that impressive to even pull that off alone of just the uh, sticking to your guns really for mm-hmm. lack of a better, I mean, there would have been, I don't certainly don't need to tell you a million, uh, Re, you know, sources of noise and <laughs> distraction of like, oh, maybe we should we do, do this, this now. Maybe a beer world where everything's yeah, changing yeah. and people want what's no, new. No, we, you know, we, um, we, we, you know, we stuck to our guns and we learned early on that, um, you know, and I, and I'll tell this to to brewers that are coming up or really in any industry, like just know what you're good at and and do that. Just do it really well. Mm. You know, you guys certainly have an archetype for your beers and you do them really well. And you don't, you don't stray, you don't stray from that, you know, and people would often ask us, well, when are you going to do your, you know, your, your barrel program or this or that? I'm like, well, Allagash is right down the road. They do a really good barrel yeah. program, you know, um, they do really good Bel- Belgian style beers. You know, we, so I've, I've always just, um, I, I'm, I'm convinced that, that by doing something that is authentic to you, um, and just trying to do it to the best of your ability, uh, I think that's what really kind of resonates at a kind of a more visceral, deep level with with beer drinkers because they know it's coming from an authentic place. Mm-hmm. You're not just out there uh, trying to make something for uh, everybody. Yeah, and you get yeah. lost, and you're you're you don't have a profile. You don't you don't have a calling card. Like, hundred um, percent. You know, you're kind of trying to please everybody. Yeah, which <laughs> studies show. <laughs> yeah, that it, it's, it's a, that's a that's a Herculean task. Yeah. that's probably yeah. impossible yeah. to to pull off. Um, so I guess in informing you know, your identity as a brewer and kind of knowing what you like, kind of the step before that, of course, is, is doing what you want your eventual beer drinker to do for your beers is identify with them and resonate with them. And so what, what, what were kind of those biggest, um, breweries or individual beers that Mm. were kind of like landmark kind of experiences for you? Um, well, one of the first, beers that wasn't kind of a domestic light lager that I can remember having would have been, uh, 1994, 95. Um, my sister was graduating from law school and we went out to dinner. I was, a, I would have been graduating yeah, from high school. name. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I was 18 or so at the time we went out to dinner and, you know, my parents let me have a beer at dinner and I had, uh-huh. a, I ordered a Sierra Nevada pale ale. This was in DC, Washington, DC. Um, mm. cause I don't even know that we had Sierra where I grew up mm-hmm. in Toledo, Ohio. We probably did, but I, yeah, I wasn't looking for it and, <laughs> and, and never world. ordered it. But, um, I just remember drinking that beer. Even I didn't know crap about beer. I was not yeah. into beer. Like I said, you know, I, I was typical high school kid, mm-hmm. you know, 
drink a 30 rack of natty light or whatever you can get, whatever you can get your hands on. Right. Yeah, uh, right and often, right. you know, quality wasn't the main objective of, right. of your experience. Yeah, totally. Um, but I do, I, I, I vividly recall, uh, drinking that beer, even at that, that age and having no experience of, of, of the beer world or what craft beer really was in that. I didn't pick up beer right away, but that memory like lingered, you know, mm. This always lingered with me until, you know, when I started getting into beer, I'd always go back to that moment, even though, you know, I didn't start home brewing until I was 30, 30, you oh, know, wow. so about 12 years later, wow. 12 years later, you know, um, I, I always hearken back to that beer and I can't help but think that somewhere in the dark recesses, recesses of my mind that, that, that beer continued to be an inspiration to uh, the beers that I would, you know, try to try to create once I started home sure. brewing. Wow! Uh, so that that was that's a huge one. Um, it's very for all the obvious for the obvious all, all the obvious reasons, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just a it's the classic American style pale ale, you know. And Absolutely. it's funny, um, not to not to um, interrupt, but that was kind of one of my first craft beer memories too. And I it. I honestly, I like the feeling of like sophistication, I guess, of like knowing this was a good thing, that the everything about it was interesting from the the look to the bottle, of course. Um, it's a little bit of yeast on the bottom of the bottle, yeah. which I had never seen before. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I just remember like I drank it, but it was a struggle from just how, which is just laughable to say now, but of how comparatively bitter it was to me. It was like palate wrecking yep. at, at, the, at the time. Yeah. Um, is there like, it, was it the whole package that when you do think back kind of to that? I, yeah, it was, it was the total, it was the total package. It was like, this was something that I didn't know beer could be. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Cause you had no, I, I had never experienced anything like it before. Uh -huh. Um, you know, as a kid growing up in the Midwest, you know, in the, and 80s. Again, you're from Michigan, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, in the eighties, you know, you just didn't, in early nineties, you didn't have a lot of options. Yeah. Um, and you certainly didn't, I mean, there was no craft beer culture as we know it today. Yeah. Back then. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you had, we were lucky to, you might've found a Sierra Nevada. You may have found a Sam Adams around, but a, they're way too expensive yeah. for me. You know, I, yeah. you know, I wasn't paying <laughs> right. 10 the bucks young, for a six pack. Oh, I, yeah. I, was, I was paying 10 Every bucks for a, for a, a case, you yes. know? But I, it, it was just that, I think that revelation, again, I don't think I appreciated it at the time, uh -huh. but I, but looking back, I, I, I can't help but be convinced that, you know, that experience and learning that beer could be so much more than what yeah. I had, you know, kind of grown up on, um, that, that has definitely stuck with me, uh -huh. uh, through, through time. So I always say that, and I know that's a beer that a lot, obviously a lot of brewers will, will mention, Damn. but it's well-deserved, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so that that's definitely one. Another is again being a, a product of the Midwest would be Bell's Two Hearted. Mm. Um, again, I remember by high school, early college year, so mid nineties, uh, up in East Lansing. My brother went to Michigan State, having uh, having that beer, the Bell's Two Hearted, at a, a Mexican restaurant up in East Lansing. <laughs> and again, it was the in same its proper kind of, setting. It was the same kind of experience, like. You know, I'd had Sierra Nevada and now I, I had this Bell's Two Hearted, which is a great beer. But I think obviously and it's a lot different in many respects. It's a it's an IPA. Yeah. It's dry hopped, you know, um, 
you know, it's just, it's bigger, bolder, the, yeah. the hop flavors. I didn't even know what a hop was and why sure. it tasted the way it did, sure. but, yeah. but it was certainly flavorful, you know, the, the aroma on it. I'm like, yeah. wow, I didn't know beer could smell like this. Um, that again, I didn't know it at the time, but I, again, I, I, I know that when I started home brewing, that those kind of experiences when I was younger, kind of knowing what I liked and what like stuck in my head, uh, influenced, you know, the kind of beers that I wanted to make. So hence that's why uh-huh. we make IP hop forward American yeah. style beers, but with our own, yeah, I think just kind of house twist on them. Yeah. What moves it along from those initial beer drinking experiences that are memorable to you? And that you've said Formative. it twice now, which is very similar to something that, that I found it like, I didn't know beer could be this. Mm. What moves it along from that to, you said it was 12 years, I think, yeah. later, to starting the homebrew on your own. And what was the the driver that pushing you to want to do to recreate these things you tasted? So um, I I went to I went to law school in Boston, and um, as part of your law school experiences over the summers, in between you know in, in between the academic year, you know the goal of a law student is to get a job at a, a law firm yeah. as kind of a, an apprentice. You know, you're mm-hmm. not a, you're not a licensed lawyer yet um hopefully make a little bit of money uh mm-hmm. over the summer uh, i was fortunate enough to get a job at a law firm in portland over one of my my summers so this would have been 2006 um and one of the partners at the law firm uh invited all of us we call them summer associates so they're a group of us say half a dozen of us that are working at this law firm for the summer he invited us over to his house it's kind of a bonding experience yeah, you know yeah. uh he but he was he uh, was from the Pacific Northwest and had been homebrewing for decades. Uh. Um, you know, so he you know back in the seventies and eighties during the kind of the homebrew revolution, um, it's kind of when he started. And so he invited us all over to his house and he put us through uh, what he called beer school. And what that meant was he he drafted a syllabus and he'd basically take us around the world uh, through beer. So. He'd take us, say, to the United Kingdom and we'd have a Sam Smith's. And he'd talk about why that, why Sam Smith's, what made that an English beer? Yeah. You know, what, the malt, the hops, the yeast, the the techniques that they use. Then we'd go to Germany and and have a, you know, a Hellas or a, a, yeah. a Pilsner, a, a lager. Yeah. Probably um, all about 15 months old. In the <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we kind of did that. But he also kind of, get he at the beginning of the course of the syllabus was uh, just a, a basic rudimentary education of what beer was. Wow. That there are lagers and ales. Like I never uh, knew that before yeah, 2006. Yeah, I, I, I knew the words were, they sure. existed, but I didn't know that that meant that they were actually different species. Yeah. Totally. You know, they're actually completely different animals. Um, and so I think after that class, I'm like, this is awesome. A, I love beer. I love drinking beer. Sorry to interrupt, yeah. but he did this all in one night. One as night. Like a good it was like a two or three hour. It was like a two or three hour, like just session of tasting beers, learning about beer. That's incredible. Um, I own a brewery and I don't even do that. <laughs> yeah. I know. It was, it was awesome. Um, but after that, obviously, I, I became aware that he was a, you know, a home brewer. I'm like, that'd be, you know, that'd be fun. And so I'm like, so I said, you know, if you ever need help homebrewing, he's in his eyes just lit up because, you know, <laughs> you know what that means. If you're a guy, if you're a guy or girl and you're used to homebrewing by yourself and someone says you want to help. Oh, yeah. That means you don't have to clean anymore. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I went. So, you know, long story short, I went over and, and helped him brew, meaning I, I cleaned and cleaned fetched, up fetched, fetched things <laughs> yeah. when they needed to be Fetch fetched. Fetch me that PVW. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that, that's kind of how it all 
I think that's kind of how it all started. I had this kind of revelatory experience. First time doing it was like, I'm hooked. Uh, yeah, just and just learning about the, the the endless kind of possibilities of of beer, where it came from. Uh-huh. Um, and the idea of just kind of creating something um, that's tangible and that yeah. you can enjoy and you can watch others. Enjoy At it. the beginning, now I wouldn't say enjoy. Um, <laughs> be nice but, to you. But, you but eventually, nice right, you know, you. just having something that's tangible that you can share with with people, I think is really cool. And I'm mm-hmm. sure that those who create art in different forms, whether that's a painter or, you know, a, an author or whatever, they get that, you know, musician, they get that same satisfaction of totally. creating something and in, in, in sharing it with people and then getting that feedback that they're enjoying it. It's kind of a... It's a it's an experience on like something nothing that I had ever experienced before. So the more I I did it and the more people liked it, I'm like, this is kind of reinforced by really cool. kind of fuel the fire to kind of keep doing it more and more yeah. and more, you know. Yeah. If it was just me and I was the only one that liked it, I don't I don't think I would have kept doing it. Yeah, but, uh, totally. I guess I don't honestly think about I know there was definitely a, a self driven thing of like, well, I, I this thing on its own volition appealed to me and now I have this desire that I need to get better at it because it just sucks to not be good at stuff once yes. you once you try to do it. And no one's good at homebrewing their first time. I mean, oh. absolutely no one. Um, but I've never really given a lot of thought to that. Um, not like this makes people like me, but just that that feedback loop, yeah. you know, yeah. that you get you're making people happy. Yeah, literally. And you're getting in turn, they're making you happy because they're saying you did a good yeah. job on this. Yeah, I've never thought about it that way, but that, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I mean, to this day, I, that's the most rewarding, to me at least, you know, individually. It's the, one of the most rewarding things about being in this industry is, you know, we get to share. I mean, how many people do you know that get to go to work and watch people come into their work and enjoy what they're making? Yeah. You yeah. know, and people want to come in. Yeah. To, yeah, your, to your work. I mean, <laughs> the same can't be said of, you know, folks that work, you know, hell, I was an attorney. Like, people don't like coming in to their attorney's no office. No one wants to see that. You know, they don't like going into made. the doctor's office, right? You don't yeah, like, you know. Right. But That's people, they want, they, they, they want to be here. They want to share uh, what you've created. Um and that's that's just a, I think an incredibly rewarding experience that I don't think many folks get the opportunity to to experience. Yeah, you know, again, it's, I, I I always I think you know obviously making beer is is obviously based in science, but I think at its almost kind of as most fundamental level, it's an art form. Um, and what separates good beer from, I think, just average beer is 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 the art that goes into it, right? Yeah. Science is kind of the baseline. Yeah. You add these ingredients together, put in yeast at a certain temperature, it's going to yield. It's going to ferment. It's going to produce it's gonna alcohol. It's going to be the Mr. Beer recipe. But what separates that from, yeah. you know, something that, that stands out? And I think that's where, you know, the art of brewing. There's things you can't. You can't quantify. teach. And you don't read. Yeah. You can't read about them. You can't teach. And again, I, and I analogize it to artists who use other mediums mm-hmm. um you know painter cooks you know mm-hmm. i mean you know chefs very much yeah. chefs agree. you know like chefs would almost probably be the closest it's just analogy, closest analogy at least right people are in a restaurant there's a certain generally chefs hate the front of house <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> with, the, right. with their uh, every fiber um so that I, that that to me you know once i i experienced that kind of like f- positive feedback that you could get from this um kind of fueled and the desire too, you know to, to want to be good at something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And not, not, 
you know, so always constantly trying to improve so yeah. in, 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 in making beer. I mean, you've got to do it over and then over and over. Then you're just another guy's uncle. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, when, yeah, when, yeah. when you're just making the, the mediocre red ale over yeah, and over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah your, house, your house recipe that everybody yeah, yeah. kind of chokes <laughs> yeah. down every Thanksgiving and Christmas. <laughs> Being nice to you. Yeah. Um, no, it's great. Yeah, yeah. At, at the time, um, it's funny to think about how much has changed, obviously, just within beer, within our little pocket of beer in the state. Um, but at the time when you're talking about being able to see that, that enjoyment with your own two eyes, obviously for, yeah, probably close to the first four years almost that you were open in an industrial way. I mean, for one, the idea of a tasting room was just kind of like coming to surface really. It wasn't Mm -hmm. the obvious thing you do like it is nowadays at all. And I, I actually, I think you were legally restricted from even, you couldn't do it. Yeah. Right. Um, so we kind of came, I forget about that because we kind of yeah. came on right in, in step with that just by, by luck of the draw. Um, but do you ever, do you think about that time in industrial way and kind of like, did, did you ever feel like you were actually missing that in, in the moment? Like, okay, we make this stuff, but then we don't really, unless we're, it's an event, we don't see people. I was just it. I was just sure that I went to the Thirsty Pig and Great Lost Bear and Navari Res a lot. <laughs> those were <laughs> our tasting. Those, for that. those were our tasting yeah. rooms. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. That, wow. that, that was that was what you had to go out and in in you know drink it. You were, you went out and you went to to bars and restaurants that that you know had your beer or yeah. wasn't just about going to watch people have your beer. Right, you're going to, sure. to hang out sure. and socialize with the community, sure. but. Um, but yeah, like you said, we couldn't have, I mean, tasting rooms weren't even a blip on the radar when, you know, we put our business plan together in 2009 because they yeah. were, you couldn't have them in Maine Yeah, and they were actually Whoa. a lot of States in, in the country. Yeah. You couldn't have them, but I do, I do remember, um, uh, hearing about and experiencing tasting rooms in California and I'm like, this is better this is a no-brainer right everybody wins here um the cut the beer drinker wins they get to come into the brewery and see see and smell Uh, what they're drinking uh the brewer gets to connect with them on a level that it's just they can't can't be replicated anywhere i'm like we need to do this in maine um and so myself and a host of other uh brewery owners at the time um advocated through the the legislature to, to fix that to, yeah. to allow brewers to sell their own products in their brewery and we were successful and you know and you look at what obviously you guys we'll didn't talk know about that. an ungrateful fucking idiot <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you guys, i don't know if you could do tap rooms or not but they just kind of happened <laughs> um, <laughs> talking to the guy that made it happen well one then, it wasn't guys. just me but yeah course, I mean, it was, yes, it was, it was a host of, of us myself and you know heather at rising tide sure. was very influential yeah. and um there were a group of us who sure. kind of saw that this was the next you know next step in the evolution of, mm-hmm. of, of the craft brewery as, totally. as we knew it was to, to allow people to come into your business and enjoy your products. Um, certainly isn't, wasn't novel in the wine industry, right? You yeah. go to a winery, That's it's expected. It. Exactly. That yeah. You're allowed to taste the wine yeah. at the vineyard, wherever you are. Um, but that, that wasn't even on the radar in 2009. And so it wasn't written in our business plan uh, at all. Uh, but once it, past um like you said it was it was you're right it's 2013 because when we you moved into our old old brewery i mean you could see 
I don't know if you remember what our tasting room oh, was. Of Again, I I'm do. using quotes. It was I like know a I'm on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it was like a dentist's <laughs> office waiting room. Yeah, yeah. made a half of the size of a dentist's office yeah. waiting room. Yeah, a, a not good dentist's a little office. Keg, a keg, we had a kegerator in there yep. and that may or may not have had beer on tap if someone stopped in. Yep. But you had to give it away. You couldn't sell it. Ah. And it was, you know, and back then, I mean, when you were, we were basically a one one man operation in terms of production. It was just right. me. Yeah. You're in the middle of a brew, and you have someone walk through your door, wanting your attention. Mm. You know, you don't want to be a jerk, but you're also but. like, dude, I, I've got a boil going. I've got a knockout. I've got, you know, I've got to set this fermenter. You didn't have time to like to yeah, deal yeah. with the front of the house stuff. So we kind of intentionally made our our tasting room kind of uninviting, yeah, for, I guess, yeah. for lack of a better word, because we didn't have anybody. You couldn't sell it, so you were going to staff it. You right, were going to pay course, somebody yeah, to sit there to give away beer, right? Of course. You know, and um, it wouldn't. You wouldn't even been big enough to kind of um, see the incentive of like the 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 marketing opportunity or whatever of like because I guess that'd be there the, was no taste in culture. It, anyone yeah. do that? Like someone like Allagash was. You do the tours, then you can you know buy beer on premise. Yes. pretty much. That's kind of like you do the tour, then you'll hopefully buy beer. That was right. Draft. That was right, and they and they did that, and they still do that. I mean, very 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 well. But yeah. we didn't have. Again, it was just me. I couldn't give a tour. I couldn't. Oh my god! You know, I mean, you Hell know what it was no. like. You couldn't. Oh, you yeah. couldn't deal with with that. And there were you didn't have, you know, you weren't going to staff up a, a, a front of the house operation when you couldn't sell any of your beer. <laughs> and there wasn't a tour to take people There's on. No I mean, it was a it was a fifteen hundred it was a fifteen hundred square foot uh, rectangle in yeah. a in a. Um, an industrial park, yeah. you know, you can wow. look, I mean, you could see everything it was right before your eyes. So in any event, um, uh, we certainly didn't contemplate that early on. Uh-huh. Um, but once we got that, that law change, we're able to open <laughs> up a tasting room, um, that revolutionized, not just in Maine, and it's not an overstatement to say it really revolutionized the craft beer industry in the United States. I mean, you look mm-hmm. at, Look at the number of breweries. I mean, how, how many breweries do you think we'd have in Maine if you couldn't have a tasting room? We we were the, we, we were have. the 17th brewery ever to open in the state of Maine. That's my wild. guess is we'd have under 30 breweries right now. Yeah, think of how, I mean they're, they're dependent. That, that sounds plausible. They're to me. dependent on people coming in and buying beer yeah. at their brewery. We sure as hell are. <laughs> yeah, that's that's certainly it's what the it's the whole, <laughs> Yeah, I mean it created a whole business model. Yeah, that wasn't mm-hmm. available to to. They created the business the model. The business model, yeah. yeah that, how, that pretty much everybody... Real, how hard and long was that process to to lobby that, so to speak? Well, was that it actually, quickly received? It, it, it was... It, it, yes. It, it didn't take as long as it otherwise could have because um, what happened in 2000 and... This would have been 2000 and... I'm trying to do my math. Yeah, 2010. We had a new governor come in. Yeah. And that the, the governor wanted to make you know reform the laws and make make maine more business friendly mm-hmm. for lack of a better better word and so so when it came to the beverage alcohol the beer industry and the so and there really wasn't any craft spirits back then so you're basically you were talking about the beer Just industry we were, yeah. we were the only manufacturers in the state yeah. there's some there's some wineries but um he got the, all the stakeholders together so the some brewers some wholesalers some retailers and said look how can we make it you know easier to do business here. And so each kind of interest group got to pick like one or two things that they wanted. Yeah. And the the deal going into it was, is that each interest group would kind of get one or two things. So the wholesalers would get something, the retailers would get something and the brewers would get something. 
And so they asked us, what do you want? <laughs> and so I said, we need to have tasting rooms. Yeah. Like this could, this could change the game. Cause yeah. I like, again, like I, you'd seen what was going on in other States who were kind of just ahead of us. Yeah. And you said like California, was California, Pac uh-huh. Northwest, they were all, they, you know, Colorado, they had these tasting rooms. Um, <laughs> and so because the other, everybody kind of got a little bit of what they wanted. It led to, uh, yeah. uh, not a lot of infighting. Yeah. There were some, there yeah. were some hiccups that I won't go into here, but, sure. um, no, you can name names, it's but it, yeah, I'll, I will I'll <laughs> yeah, preserve kidding. the names of the, of the, um, but no, it the makes, guilty. It makes but, a ton of sense. It makes it easy to get to a yeah, resolution. So it was kind of a consensus thing. Like yeah. here's a package and it went through. And obviously we had a ton of people up in Augusta, you know, senators and, and representatives who, uh, supported us. And, um, but I, I and, and I, I'm probably overselling it, but I don't think any of us really knew the kind of impact that it was going to have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even then, you know, we knew it'd be, it was going to be great to be able to sell your own beer. It was going to, you know, we could all of a sudden say, yeah, we will hire someone to, you know, man a bar, you know, bartend. To sell beer to somebody. Because now I can actually because... sell it to people coming in. And yes. it was a marketing, you know, when we developed, when we, um, moved into the brewery that we're currently sitting in now in 2013, which is right when this, right around when this law passed and changed, we were designing like what our tasting room would be. And some of the initial drafts of this building, of our original building here, yeah. um, the space of the tasting room was, I mean, it could fit maybe 10 or 15 people in it. Mm-hmm. And we thought then we're yeah. like, that's probably big enough, right? Yeah. You didn't know if people were going to come. And you didn't want to dedicate a bunch of square footage if of course. it was going to be used. And then kind of at the last minute, we doubled the space. So now we can fit like maybe 30 or 40 people in it. And I don't know, you, you've been I, to our old tasting oh, yeah. room. Oh, I've been, been many times. Yeah. And now you listeners out there, you know, you know, kind of what our old tasting room looked like. And back, but when we were designing the building, we thought that that tasting room was going to be massive. Jesus. Like we are never going to fill this place up. Yeah. And so then we open so it almost, almost right away. You're like, yeah, this is oh, way sure. too small. It's one of those, I mean. Every brewer goes through it like, man, we should have made this five times bigger Yeah, yeah. when we could. Or we should have bought a tank that was five times bigger. Yeah. You always go through those moments that we should have. Yeah. But um, but yeah, needless to say, the tasting room culture obviously caught on like wildfire here and across the United States. And it really has fueled th- this industry over the last eight, seven, eight years. Some like 7,000 breweries now. Is that number? Oh, it's over, eight, eight, over 8,000. Over 8, yeah. Over eight, yeah. And ask me tomorrow to be nine. You know? um, <laughs> and I think when we started again for, for context, because I always like to remind myself of what it used to be like, you know, when we started, I think there were under 2,000 breweries in the United States. I think there were like 1,500. There was under 2,000 when we started. Yeah. So I, think there was, I think there were like 1,500 breweries yeah. maybe in the United States. And like I said, we were the... I think our, our brewers, our, our state brewers, you know, license were number, I think 17 or 18. 17, that's so that was like wild. The, the, in the, in the, from, you know, D.L. Geary when he started in 83, 84, up until 2009. Yeah. 17 breweries had opened in the state of Maine. I don't even know how many we have now, probably 150. So in the last <laughs> yeah. 10 years, you know, another 120, 130 breweries opened 10X. up. So, man, I, uh. Yeah, truly do feel like an idiot for for kind of forgetting uh, how about how because I was I guess just preoccupied. You know, you're trying to open oh, the sure. business. Oh, sure. You're thinking about um, a million other things. So not really thinking about that, but it's but as you're as you said, it was like, oh yeah, of course. Um, you know, you were um, had a very active role in the 
what at that time was not the big guild that it is now. But yeah. then obviously with your and Heather's legal backgrounds. Yeah, um, I mean, we so, um, you know, the Brewers Guild, speaking of another thing that really, I think, has helped catapult, mm-hmm. you know, the industry here in Maine uh, forward. Uh, myself and uh, Jason Perkins, Heather Sanborn, um, Luke Livingston, we kind of the Brewers Guild in Maine had existed for 20, 30 years, but because there was such a small number of breweries, you know, they kind of acted, you know, the the brewery owners, whether it was Rob or Fred at Shipyard or uh, Kai at Sebago, if an issue came up, they'd kind of all just call each other on the phone and be like, all right, let's do something about this. We'll throw in some money if we need to, you know, hire a lobbyist or whatever. Um, But the guild as an entity wasn't necessarily a driving force in and of itself calling for kind of change to either liquor laws or just promoting the industry. Um, but we got together, I took over as chair, chair president, I guess of the guild in I don't know, 2010 or 2011. And, uh, with the help of, like I said, Jason and, and Heather, and I think Kai was even, I think Kai was on that board. We're like, we could sense this industry's changing. Yeah. It's, it's changing fast <laughs> and we need, we need a, a guild, a, a to help organize us and totally. advocate for us, you know, as an industry, not as mm-hmm. an individual brewery. But the, the guild has been, I think, just instrumental in you know, the tasting room was just the first thing that changed mm-hmm. in Maine. Mm-hmm. Since the tasting room laws ch- has changed, we've gotten, I mean, dozens of laws that were written back in the 70s, 60s, oh, 50s, yeah. 40s. Yeah. You know, you remember the whole tap handle. I don't, you probably remember the whole tap handle shenanigans where no, oh yeah remember, me remember where, where shenanigans, the please. liquor enforcement officers were coming in and if shout the, out the brand of the so the law and they were they weren't wrong i mean they were just doing their job yeah. but the the law was antiquated and it said that the brand of beer that was being dispensed from a tap faucet had to be on that tap handle. Now you know going into so that's the thirsty why some pig, of your handles are branded. Well, yeah, but that wouldn't even have counted because it didn't say peeper or it didn't say lunch. It had to actually have the, the brand of the beer, not just the brewery. So right. So yeah. think. So Those think ch- of Navari Res or think of think of the pig. Yeah. Right. It's on a chalkboard. Yeah. Of course. So brewers were getting uh, retailers, bars, and restaurants were getting busted. Because uh, they were using generic tap handles, yeah. whether it's that black little stubby Just thing little stub or, or whatever, something nondescript. And they're doing that for a good reason, because unlike, you know, before 2010, you know, if a beer went on tap, it stayed on tap. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Well, yeah. now, but come 2010, 2011 and forward, you rotate, right? Yeah. You can not change the tap yeah. handle every time you rotate a beer out. In small brewers, we didn't have the money. Tap handles were the bane of our existence because they're oh, expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, and people just break them. They steal yep, them. They go missing. Like, I can't afford like the mar. I sold you this keg expensive. of beer. They're expensive, <laughs> yeah. right? That margin. I sold you that keg of beer. If I've got to give you, if I sell you a, a keg of lunch and I've got to give you a lunch tap handle for that keg, well, yeah. that's my margin on that keg. Yeah, it's and 30, if you're just going to rotate thirty percent of the keg, right? If you're just going to rotate that keg out and not put lunch back on, yeah, well, I just What's gave you that beer, yeah. right? Right. You know, now I'm uh, just back uh, to pre-tasting room. Yeah. Right. So, it's, <laughs> so I mean, that's just that's a that's a long-winded example of those antiquated laws that you know um, were on the books yeah. and being in, in, enforced. Yeah. That the you know 
again, you know, the guild would mobilize brewers and, you know, we hired a lobbyist, you know, that represents the guild that huh. represents us up in Augusta. Um, and had kind of had the ear, ear on the floor mm-hmm. so that when these issues were coming up, brewers were protected. And that, you know, a lot of that stuff goes on behind the scenes and it's wonky. Um, but it really has been it instrumental is, it, in laying kind of that foundation uh, and infrastructure for us brewers to operate the way that we're operating mm-hmm. today. Totally. Especially now you look at the last few months and, and be the first to say, like, would get a, a guild email every now and then and might skim it or, or da da da. In, in the wake of these last few months and operating in a literal pandemic, rules are changing, everything is changing. And like we talked off air before, maybe getting word today that tap rooms can even be open again. I'm in that guild email every single week, getting all the info I can. This was really and, swift action. Yeah. On, on just yeah. yeah. And so yeah. my but my, my quick good. my quick plug for what the what trade associations, the guild, whether it's the guild at the state level or the Brewers Association at the national level, you don't always see what's going on all the time. Mm. But uh, there's a lot of people really busting their hump to make sure that. We can continue to operate, and you—I mean, you're right. I mean, the COVID nineteen pandemic is a prime example of, you know, trade associations. I mean, working tirelessly yeah. to make sure that we're able to keep our doors open, our lights on. So, you know, in Maine, you couldn't have curbside service before. Outdoor seating was always very difficult to get licensed. Yeah. You couldn't do delivery right to somebody's d- door. delivery to somebody's door. I mean, so think of all these innovations that small brewers have have made um, that the state has, you know, allowed. One hundred percent. And you know, and frankly, I think that that a lot of those innovations they shouldn't go anywhere. I mean, after this is all over, I mean, how how great is it for the the brewery for one to be able to get their beer in consumers' hands in more innovative ways? And yeah. It's great for the customers. Yeah. You know. And I mean, if it's not um, and the, the sky's not falling, right? Yeah. The world's uh-huh. not the wild west. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's not a bunch of 15 year olds getting hammered off of, right. you know, Maine Beer Company or Bissell Brothers Beer getting delivered to their door, yeah. which was always the argument yeah. that was going to happen. It, it As happened. you said earlier, there ain't a lot of 18 year olds out there looking <laughs> to afford- pay us $16 <laughs> a four pack for beer. Um, yeah. The other thing, we're just having more options to do it because if the other, if, if it's not the brewery doing it, it's like the self distro cap of that raise. If it's not the brew, only a worse example. If it's not the brewery doing it, it's going to be car hop or it's going to be. It's going to be a third party. Nothing yeah, wrong with that. Yep. But you're just giving away both a, a little sliver of kind of your identity and a connection sure. to mm-hmm. who's consuming what you make and margins, obviously, yeah. beyond that. But um, yeah, and I say let, let the. You know, let, let the market dictate. Like, you know, we don't do delivery service. That, that's a that's a choice that we made as a, right. as yeah. a business. Right. That doesn't that doesn't mean it's bad or wrong. Nope. But let the businesses decide yeah. what's the best way to represent their brand, right? Uh, and uh, get beer responsibly yeah. into the hands of consumers. Yeah. Um, let let them decide, and, let, and then let consumers say, "This is how we want it." Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it's we're living in an Amazon world. People want stuff exactly. They they want they want convenience. Yes. Yeah. On and, the other side of this, there's going to be a lot of habits and and a, getting a taste of something that a customer is going to want to live in, and they're not going to want to see that go back. That genie's not going to go get put no, back I, in the I, bottle. And we'll probably hear some grumblings of, you know. Uh, certain parties wanting to put that genie back in the bottle, but yeah. you know, it's my, my hope. And I, and I would, I would advocate certainly that we, we keep these things on the books because it's, it's been shown to be, I think great for, great for business and just great for the overall experience. 
uh, that Absolutely. you know consumers can have with our with our beers, especially in a era like this where you're restricted from moving, <laughs> you know, moving about and going out and about. Yeah, um, I just want to kind of switch gears a little bit. Speaking of getting beer into consumers' hands, I've never actually been able to ask you about this, um, so I, I want to take the opportunity. This is a way throwback of of early early days for you guys. I wouldn't have been either in Portland or just, you know, just wouldn't have been into beer enough to be, to be present in any of these, but the trash can days of Navarre. (laughs) So can you tell me kind of a little bit about that? That was sort of, uh, I don't know. I'll let you, I'll let you describe. So, um, I'll I'll give you a quick, try to give you a quick preamble to this, this answer. But, uh, when we first started, you, you may recall, or, or folks listening might recall, we didn't, we didn't have draft beer that this was one of the one of the unique things about us and i think you know we we obviously had many people say you guys are stupid yeah. uh like you have to have draft beer oh um, people told you how to run your business yeah, that yeah, never yeah. happens to me like where's the draft beer like no we're just we just have bottles yeah. single bottles 500 milliliters like those six packs so when we'd come up with um experimental beers mm-hmm. We weren't going to bottle them and bottle condition them. You know, sure. we, we kind of just want them to, to to celebrate. So Navari would have, say, an anniversary. You know, they have their anniversary every spring. Yeah. You know, Shaheen or Eric would call up and say, can you make us a beer? Right. We're like, sure. But we're not going to bottle it. Yeah, we're only yeah. make, I, and I would literally homebrew it. So I would do it like homebrew scale. Um, so make, you know, basically make enough that you could maybe fill up to, um, you know, six barrels yeah. of beer. Uh, but we didn't have Sankey kegs cause we didn't, we didn't, keg we didn't, we didn't keg. keg beer yeah. and we weren't, I don't know, I guess we just, I knew corny kegs from my homebrewing days. Sure. So I'd like, let's do it old, old homebrew style. We'll yeah. fill up the corny keg, put on the, you know, the Pepsi or the Coke, yeah. you know, fitting and in the old picnic tap. Yeah. And, but now it can't go through a draft dispense system, obviously. Yeah. No. So how are we going to serve it? Why don't we just get a big trash can of ice, put wow. the keg in it. And put it on the bar at Navarre or, you know, we, I think we had one at Great Lost Bear. Um, I think we only did it once or twice, but that was kind of, that was how we showcased our, our kind of our special beers uh, in the early days. That's so cool. Um, so, Navarre, so those was the, have been Navarre like, was the first one though. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, uh, Nick Martell works with us or just talking to Sheen. It just is, it is truly the stuff of lore um, yeah. now of just the, tra- uh, the trash can beer. Yeah. I, I couldn't even tell you what beer it was, to be honest with you. I'm sure people that have been kind of early pilots probably it would have been like stuff. maybe maybe like Zoe, an early version of zoe i think we served at great lost bear maybe me and old tom we had at um navare i, I don't know but yeah they would have been like just pilots or yeah early versions of beers we eventually developed uh-huh. um but we did we weren't sophisticated enough to have <laughs> you know we didn't have sankey kegs which is a technical term for professional kegs right we yeah. kegs. Kegs. Yes. <laughs> right right and so we're like all right screw it we'll just put it in the old corny That's keg unreal. and throw it on top Absolutely. of the bar and um speaking of zoe another thing i've always wanted to ask you uh but just haven't haven't had the opportunity is sort of the origins of that beer um i told the told this on another podcast years ago but Substance, really, the kind of framework of substance came from me kind of modifying an existing well-known homebrew recipe. Yep. It's called this beer called the Dankness, and um, it's changed so much, you know, since then, obviously, as 
it should, you know, yeah. like it's, but it, I always wondered if, um, you took for that beer, if there was any inspiration from, uh, evil twin or e- evil, the Jamil, uh, chef recipe. Yes. How'd you know that? Is that the answer? Yeah. Oh, cool. Oh. Okay. Um, just looking at the two, I mean, I'm not, again, trying to go down the uncomfortable road, but you know how it is. You get no, obsessive I'm, about... I'm not uncomfortable thinking, talking about it. Well, that. I'm talking about uncomfortable about what I'm about to... Oh. My previous oh, self-obsessing <laughs> over main beer company beers and what made them so special. So you look at recipes wherever you can find them or, or if people well, share back in the back in the early days when I was homebrewing, um, you know... I didn't go to brewing school. You didn't go to brewing right, school. Exactly. How, do you, how do you educate yourself? And that's why I thought this you, was the you, case. you read, right? So I'd buy, <laughs> yep. I'd buy, you know, obviously, you, you know, everybody buys the Bible of home brewing. Um, yeah. Charlie Papazian's book. Um, you buy that, you read it. Uh, and back then, like, they started having these things on the, the computer that you could listen to people's voices mm-hmm. you know Whoa, i don't think they were I called podcasts you, I back see then what you're doing. <laughs> broadcast uh, or but, something yeah and I'm, I'm blanking on the name of jamil's show um, um can you brew it probably no it was before I, maybe this, a brew strong or there's i think it was maybe brew strong uh-huh. they have, have like it. kind of a, a stable of so again podcasts. this would have been back in 2006 yeah probably 2007 yeah, yeah. um and I so funny. I would download them, you know, in each episode would be a new recipe, right? Yes. And so he'd bring in either a brewer or a, a famous home brewer to, to talk about just one recipe. And they yes. would talk about that for the show, how you make the beer, et cetera. And they talk, they, one of the shows was this hoppy red yep. they were talking about. And, um, you know, Bear Republic had made one and yeah. there were a few other examples kind of in California. And they kind of talk about the basics of it, what defines a hoppy red. And so, I'm like, that's cool. I love IPAs, you know, but I'm in, in pale ales, but this is something different, right? Yeah. It's kind of a melding of styles. Yeah. Um, like this sounds pretty cool. And so, yeah, Zoe was kind of several iterations uh, of riffing off of that podcast episode on Hoppy Reds by Jimmy. I, I n- no bullshit. The same podcast was where. I came across this this dankness recipe. Them doing exactly what you're talking about, kind of re- this this. It, for in that case, it was kind of a well known home brewer. Yeah. Um, that. Yeah, and I forget who this guest was there, or if it was if they were trying to clone an actual. They may have been trying to clone with the Bear Republic. Um, That's not Racer make, Five, but I know no, it, the beer it's you're a different beer. About. It's not yeah. Racer Five, but I'm drawing a blank. But in any event, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, let's. I just wanted to brew. I wanted to make something different than an IPA, a straightforward yes. IPA. Which I mean, brewers know it's they're fairly from a malt profile. I mean, they're fairly straightforward beers. You know, the one day, or two or three different so malts. You know, right? Yeah, you're, you're you're not getting kind of crazy. And so Zoe was a beer where I got to really kind of be way more experimental and use malts that I never used before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Special B, special B, like, all this yeah. stuff. And so yeah. I, I think at the end of the day, I think Zoe has like seven different malts in it. Uh-huh. You know, and for no good reason other than I'm like. Let's just yeah, try these in combination yeah, with one absolutely. another, you know, it's like a little bit of this, a little bit of yeah. that. You're right. It's like chili, yeah. you know, like a little seasoning here, yeah. a little seasoning there. The chili <laughs> approach doesn't work when you're, when you have a pale beer. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and it's funny even to just think about the pressure kind of that I felt. And I, I just looking at the beers and the, the, the succession of beers that you guys came out with in, in the early days, where now both of our breweries have, have overwhelmingly just variants of an IPA. Mm. And it didn't seem like that was even possible. Like you could just keep 
making IPAs. I think like for me, like when I look at early, like we did the next beer was then a, a blonde ale, like a, a true hoppy blonde. Then, yeah. then it was a hoppy red. Then it was, um, I regret to say a black IPA, <laughs> um, and stuff <laughs> like that. But it, where now odds are it will be either uh, a beer that uses a new hop that just is being scaled yeah, up experimental or hops, new to right, us but, or, yeah. um, or just, you know, there's a, there's a million, it's not to say that those beers can't be different and otherwise why would we brew them? Yeah. But it seemed like that wasn't even, it certainly wasn't where my mind went at all. Um, and that, I, well, that wasn't the business model either. Mm-hmm. Right. And for a lot of good, for a lot of reasons, one, there were no tasting rooms. Yeah. So, you, so the amount of time and money you have to put into branding like a beer yeah. And putting it out to distribution yeah. is yeah. is a lot. Yeah. yeah. So it's you know, unless you were planned on selling a lot of that particular brand yeah. of beer, you weren't gonna go through all that hassle of licensing, label approval, whether you're bottles or cans, right? Buying your labels. But when this whole kind of the 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 tasting room kind of revolution came along and bars and restaurants started reimagining how they sold beer, that is, you know, cycling through rotating taps it kind of piqued consumers' interest and consumers, what we're driving it, they wanted to taste something different, mm, yeah. right? And so yeah. so as a brewer, you're like, well, what can we do that's different? And this goes back to the beginning of our conversation. Like we knew we weren't gonna start making Belgian beers. Just yeah. that, that wasn't our identity. And yeah. there's a brewery right down the road who makes yeah. some of the best Belgian beers in the world. We'll let them do that. So how are we gonna keep things fresh and interesting? Well, we make hoppy beers. And it just so turns out that there's an infinite combination <laughs> of hop varieties, yeah. hopping techniques yeah. um, that you can employ in a IPA or, yeah. or pale ale that allows you to kind of still flex your creative muscles, but stay in your kind of lane where you, you're you able to make the best beer you possibly can. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, at, at times I think you, you a brewery can risk um, overwhelming consumers. Um, oh, yeah. you know, like coming out the beer a day. Yes. Um, because there's a flip side to that. You don't really, you don't, when you're coming out with a new beer all the time and the same would happen to my brewery, well, it's not, not unique. You don't develop any brand loyalty. Yeah. yeah. Cause if they can, sometimes the consumer does want what they had yesterday, right? Yeah. I, they should, you know, Hopefully. they want another substance. Well, yeah. They want another lunch. And so if you're just constantly something, it's always new. The customer can't come back to you and say, yeah. I want that the substance again. The connection isn't as the deep. Connection isn't if it's as just deep. your newest thing, then it can very easily be, be the next person's That's right. So I warn, you know, I, I caution, like innovation's great. And it's, it's what has separated the, you know, American craft beer revolution mm-hmm. from the old school mm-hmm. uh, is our ability to innovate and be creative. But there's, there's a cost if you, yes. you know, if that's all you do. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, a steep cost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I also um, that was literally written in our business plan with you guys as the reference point of like, and and it's so different then. I mean, even everything's relative. But even then, you know, at that time we were writing in business. Hell, you might have had like six beers. You know, Maybe. over yeah. I mean, Maybe. it wasn't much. Yeah. Um, and you know, we only brewed substance for literally the first year. We were yep. it's it's. When you look at the port, our oh, say it. myself now. When you look, <laughs> he likes when to you, use portfolio. When you look at our list of beers now, no, I hate to use portfolio. Um, when you look at our list of beers now, it's it seems it could seem like we've strayed the course, but it's just time, I think, and market. Oh, that's changes. just time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you look at ours uh, over time. Yeah, we've probably brewed fifty, sixty. Yeah. 
70 different beers, but we also have a core stable of yeah. brands like and you guys do. And that by your time open and right, yeah, yeah. by the normal averages. Well, and again, the tasting room, people do want, they want to come into a tasting room. If they're going to drive to a brewery. Yeah. Yeah. They want something. They might want, you know, kind of the old standbys, whether yeah. it's, you know, substance or lunch or peeper or whatever. Sure. But they also want something new. Yeah. It's something they can only get at the brewery. That's what yeah. makes it unique. Yeah. And so you're, you want to reward them mm-hmm. for their, taking their time to come to your brewery. And so, again, it's kind of a balance of innovating and, and keeping things new and fresh because you don't want to become stale either as a brewery, um, but also developing some brand loyalty to particular It's brands. just funny you say I, I remember the distinct feeling coming in Black Barn program. Yeah. And it's that exact thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come here for this. Yeah. And I know it's there and I can't wait to have it. And you can't, get it, any, you can't get it anywhere else. Yeah, but I'm not leaving until I try. Like, yeah. But I get to check that box. Yeah. I get to try this and it adds a level of excitement to what is already a a deep emotional connection right. to this place that I like to come. Yeah. All right. Let me just, I just one other quick question. Then I'm, I know Matt has um, just, just going to peel into macro a little bit and then we'll, yeah, wrap we're, right uh, up. we're going. Um, but shoot away. Just one other thing that I, I've just always really respected and honestly modeled ourselves after, I think subconsciously is your, I guess, lack of collaboration beers while compared to the the mean that the you know the mean the market of, uh, around yes. you mm-hmm. um and they're not to say that that's been non-existent at all you know they're they're but it, you clearly i i think must have kind of a similar uh i don't know uh, can you can you explain kind of uh your perspective on that on collaboration beers, yeah. yeah, or or maybe why you've chosen to not do. Um, that yeah, we don't many do a ton of them. Yeah, yeah. We, we 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 have done a host of them, and um, you know, I think that again, um, going back to the, the the chef analogy, like too many cooks in the kitchen, <laughs> um, uh, it, they can be challenging. I mean, yeah. I think when done well, they can be phenomenal, and yeah. I've certainly had a, absolutely a, a host, a, a, a bunch of really good collaboration beers, um, but. They also are challenging because, you know, you have, you get two, three, four brewers together, however many they are. They all have their own ideas, right? Mm-hmm. We're all pretty, we're strong-willed. Yes. Um, you know, we, we, we think, all, all of us think that we know what we're doing and it's the only way you could possibly do yes. it. And, you know, uh, and so when you get three or four people together or even two people, you know, getting that recipe to meld into a yeah. coherent and cohesive um recipe yeah. and experience is challenging. Yeah. Um, so that kind of just right out of the gates has, has meant that we've been kind of reluctant. I'm reluctant. I don't know if that's the right word, no, but I, I think that fits we don't have well. a hard policy. Like we don't do any, sure, I don't want to no. sound like arrogant asshole, of but it was just, not. you know, it's just kind of, they're, they're hard to do mm-hmm. and they take a lot of time, yep. a lot of effort, a lot of bandwidth. Again, especially if it's going to be distributed beer, you got to design labels, you've got to you know, order labels, you've got to register your label, and it it's it's a distraction from your day to day too. So if you're oh, just yeah. busy trying to keep up with making enough substance, yeah, yeah. are you going to take like a week out of your production schedule to, to host, dedicate to do and to, to host, plan, and, to host and you know it's a whole plan, like yeah. it's a whole dog and pony show too yeah. that goes along with it. Yeah. Which again, um, pick your spots and we do them occasionally, but yeah. you know they can be they they can kind of consume you, um, and the results I've I've just found and probably it's just my own failing. Uh, haven't always been exactly what you know we would expect them to be. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm completely right there. And that's not a knock on anybody that doesn't. No, it's just my, no, 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 no. That's just my personal kind of take on it. And I've had <laughs> just a few experiences of just not getting a ton of satisfaction out of them. Because when you talk about, yes, it is a challenge to overcome kind of meeting in the middle. But that's kind of the whole point to break out of your own zone yeah. that you always exist in yeah. and be like, oh, we can do it this way too. And, and learn something, you know, yeah. and learn and get a little bit of enrichment from it. Um, but that requires the effort on both ends. Um, and, and I think just with how prolific they become, it, it's, it's just marketing, yeah. I think more often than not. And which is, um, that certainly to, that, where that to me, and that to me, um, isn't, I, I, that, that isn't the, that shouldn't be a motivation for making of a Of course beer. not. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And just, I, just to try to, have it be a, a PR or marketing yeah. ploy. That's it's coming from an inauthentic place, and and I'm firmly rooted in my belief that consumers oh, they know. Yeah, they they know. Yeah. They can they now can more than ever. The more yeah. phones in their hand and information they have, that thing is as strong and, as it's and, ever been. You know, to your to your point, Noah. Like, you know, you can take awesome A and awesome B, right? So awesome brewer A and awesome brewer B, you put them together, it doesn't necessarily Decent yield awesome C. C. Yeah. <laughs> it, it can just be kind of a mishmash. They yeah. don't really quite meld together. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're, they're tricky, but um, we certainly do them. We'll continue to do them, but it's it's just, you know. It'd it just be hard that. to find the, where where it does make sense, yeah. you know, because you can't really. And often, we, we actually, we honestly, we've only done them when it's like, you just know it's going to be right. Like, you yeah. just have a feeling. It's not forced. Like, it's like, yeah, this would be just really cool. And yeah. it makes sense to to do this. And it, yeah. there's no hard and fast rule as to who we partner yeah. with or why we do it. It's just like, sure. Yeah, this is good. This is good. And I didn't mean and to it, imply it, that. No, no, no. Like, but who's it, on your block list? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's. uh I don't know. Probably it's similar nice to your reasons why. I mean, you guys don't do. Yeah. No. No. I mean, yeah. You're you're really taking the words out you. of my mouth. <laughs> <One> of <the laughs> yeah. I do whatever Dave Levin does. Um, <laughs> That's not true. But, no. But uh, no. And, and I think to, to your point, Matt, I think this, you know, the, there's an evolution to this industry, and and there was a time when collaboration beers, I think, were popular. You know, yeah. popular. I guess, and people wanted to to see that happening because they we, were still special. They were still and special, were right? Yeah. But I think we've kind of we've evolved, just like you know. There was a there was a time when you know triple IPAs were popular or big barley wines were popular. Yeah. The industry kind of goes in, and people's palates kind of and consumer preferences kind of are on a continuously evolving wheel. Yeah, yeah. and it, yeah, if it wasn't for COVID, I'd say that probably fifty collaborations happened while we were doing this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Just the fever pitch of like, yeah. oh, just like another one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it seems like we're kind of. Seems like we've moved past the peak anyway, but but we'll see. But but that's um that's really interesting and cool to hear. Mm. And even in in that beer specific conversation, especially the last part of it, talking about people's bullshit detector, talking about some things just being marketing and branding, and maybe not being authentic, especially at this time in the world right now. I kind of I I have built up from hearing you on podcasts and seeing different things. I built up my my own little narrative of what Main Beer Company is, just like any customer, like what it is to me. And a big part of that narrative to me is is all wound up in the the inception story. You talk about two thousand eight, which is a very rare and special political and and economic, economic time in the country yeah. that 
you get laid off from work and then here comes this business on the other side of of that experience whose tagline is do what's right who's part of one percent for the planet and all of those things and i kind of build in my head that it's like it's you and your brother seeing what's wrong with some of business and capitalism in the world. And this is literally your rebellion against it. And you're going to build a business on, on different ideals. Yes. Is that just a simple yes in terms of that was a lot of the feeling back then? Yeah, no, that, that was, that was most of the feeling back then. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, you know, we're a product of our times and we don't get to choose the times that we live in. Um, and so we, you know, my brother and I, in addition to enjoying like homebrewing and making yeah. beer, we also, um, you know, we saw what was kind of going on around us. He comes from finance and Ooh. I, you know, and I, and I, obviously I, I, I come from the, the legal world, but, um, you know, we saw what was going on in, in late 2008 and, and into 2009 and, and beyond. And we're like, you know, it's people getting screwed. Yeah. Um, for no good reason. Yeah. You know, they didn't do anything wrong. People losing their homes, uh, losing their jobs. Um, and it was kind of the culmination of, I think, maybe the times that I, I grew up in, certainly, where there was an ethos of, you know, it was kind of the Gordon Gecko from Wall Street. I don't know if you guys are too baby. young to Greed watch. Good. Enjoy. I just Greed watched that movie, actually. <laughs> I did, yeah, too. Uh, but that time. was, you know, that was, that was lauded. Yeah. I mean, that was, the, that kind of ethos was... People thought that's the way that the world should work. Mm. And to me, 2008 kind of was a glaring example of why that's mm. just corrosive and yeah. incredibly irresponsible yeah. and can be destructive to people's lives. And so, you know, my brother and I, you know, when we were formulating the business plan, um, we had all of this, these thoughts in mind. And we're like, you know, and there's certainly, that's painting with a broad brush, right? There were certainly businesses operating that were doing things the right way. A lot of them. And most of them you've never heard of, right? They're small mom right. and pop yeah, yeah. Exactly. main street businesses. Exactly. It was the large corporations that were the, the ones screwing everybody over. That unfortunately have, can do the most damage, but could also, could do, also the do the most good. good. And that, that's the thing that I want to talk to you about so much right now is I'm getting around this thing recently that it's like this, well, capitalism is the problem and, and all of this and, and burn it down isn't a workable solution to anything, but a change to the vehicle that got us here. If, if that vehicle behaves differently, yeah. that is the, it's the same vehicle into this mess that is the vehicle. out. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, on a philosophical level, I don't, I, I don't buy into the narrative that, you know, capitalism is inherently, mm-hmm. inherently, um, destructive. Now I think unbridled, unregulated, Reg- un immoral capitalism obviously is, yeah. but it, you know, what isn't well, to its nth degree t- right. taken, you know, to the, to the max. A hundred percent. But and to even- your point, Matt, like it doesn't have to be that way. I think we, we assumed because of how we were raised and the times that we grew up in and the messages that we were fed that we just had to live with it. Yeah. Right. We yeah. had to, we took the good with the bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of destruction, but it also is great because for X, Y, Z reasons. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, when we started the business, we said, no, that's bullshit. These business, they're making choices, yeah. right? They are making conscious choices of how they operate. Yeah. Uh, and they're assuming that consumers are too dumb or don't care about their practices. We said, so we were betting on the fact that consumers do care. Yeah. And they will pay. Yeah. They will put their dollars where their values are. And 
let's perform this experiment. Like I said, there were certainly companies, Patagonia obviously is, I think, the, the most glaring and obvious example of a company that for decades has led with their values mm -hmm. and no one can say that they're, they haven't been incredibly successful yeah, but at, the all bigger, the while. at that level of scale. They are the example. Right. And so when we started, you know, they were obviously an, an, an inspiration, but our, our mission was to show other small businesses that, you know, you don't have to be a huge company to make a big impact. Mm -hmm. If all of us little guys mm -hmm. just do do the right thing, we can have a profound impact too. And that's kind of what led us to 1% for the planet because that, which again was co-founded by Yvonne Chouinard, yeah. uh, the founder of Patagonia Outerwear. But the 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 idea of 1% for the planet is if each company, large, small, medium size across the world, donates 1% of their revenue to environmental causes, we can basically solve all of- Yes the challenges we face as a species living on this planet. Yes. It's a small amount by a large number of people. Yes. Um, and so we set off on our way. Uh, we created this business model where we said, look, yeah, anybody that buys our beer, they know it's not the cheapest beer you're going to find. Right? It, it's not. Um, yeah. But they hopefully... One, you have to have a good product. That goes without saying. You have yeah, to have of good course, beer. People are going to pay a premium for crap. Yeah. They don't care about the planet that much. No, they don't care about it that much. But... Um, well, maybe they do now. <laughs> I mean, maybe not in 2009. Too little, they didn't. too late, perhaps. Yeah. They cared about it yeah. so little that Walmart's um, got yeah. the best prices. That's yeah. where we're going. But you can you can lead with your values and stand for something that's authentic and is going to make the world a better place for your employees, for your community, mm -hmm. um, and just for the health of health of the planet that we live on. And I think at least what I was taught is that the 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 notion of being successful at business and doing good by the people that you surround yourself with, the people that you live with and the planet that you live on are mutually exclusive ideals. Yeah. You can't have both, right? Yeah. Um, but what we set to prove out is that's bullshit. They that's can actually true. be, you can actually have a virtuous cycle instead of a vicious cycle, right? Yeah. Where they feed off of each other. Like we do good, consumers buy our beer, we do more good. Consumers buy more of our beer. And if it, this isn't unique to beer, that's the whole beauty of it. You could be making shoes, outerwear, mm -hmm. sunglasses. Mm -hmm. You could be a restaurant. Yeah. You, know, you could be selling services. Um, it, it, it's pretty much universal. Yeah. But, and if people just operated that way and realized that you can do good by the bottom line and do good by then more everything businesses else. Want, well, see that and choose to operate that exactly. Way. That's the that's, that's where the that's change the long happens. play, right? That's yes. where that's the space where change happens, yeah. and that that's the long game. And I I tell people, and I'm honest about this, um, we didn't start made beer company just to make beer. If all I wanted to do was make beer, I'd just be a home brewer still. It's a hell of a lot easier. I wouldn't have put my you know I wouldn't have put my home up for you know <laughs> co-sign my home away to a bank and basically my entire life savings you know yeah. uh, into some some crappy homebrew equipment when we started. Um, I would have stayed I would just stayed a homebrewer, yeah. but we we did it because we had a larger goal, um, and that was to you know it's kind of a middle finger to the way that things were being but why the way businesses were acting because it was bullshit yeah. and it was hurting people it didn't have to be that way so we wanted to show not necessarily beer drinkers but other businesses like yes. you can you can operate this way and be successful don't believe what you were taught yeah that you have to pinch pennies treat your employees maximize like crap profits. well Everybody's the only way to the only way to max you can maximize profits but the only 
there's not just one way to do that. Like, you don't have to pinch pennies to maximize profits. Uh, Sometimes spending money. Yeah. You know, so investing in your employees. Well, and and that's a great one because it's you'll see even the big companies have these charitable arms, and that's why I tied in the authenticity and it's all after the fact stuff. You know what I mean? It's yeah, not it's, truly what the built. Green, it's greenwashing. Exactly. Yeah, we're not that bad. We did this, but when when I think about you guys and and, and hearing back when you're faced at a crossroads relatively early on, that is is are we going to expand? Or are we going to to really commit to some solar energy and doing what we put in the business plan to set out yeah. to do and, and hearing everything you just said. And I've heard you talk about it once as, as it's almost keeping yourself honest. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of these business, like a lot of these business people and different then they start out great. You can see it in politics. You see it in that, as you get further down the road, you make a concession here, sure. you make a compromise no, easy, right? here. And then yeah. it's easy to, to end up in a place where, Oh, you've done a lot of damage, but you're just rationalizing it. Yeah, how, that, that's how a trap. How do you set up the framework that allows you to make the tough decision in the moment? That's like we could expand, sell a lot more beer, but we're going to take a step back and we're going to put those solar panels on the roof because that's what we said we're going to do and that's what we set out to do. Yeah, and I think that it's important for, especially you know, if you're a business starting out, you bake it into your business plan. It's baked. Again, we, we were able to do what we do because we thought about it from the beginning. And so our whole pricing model, everything, yeah. you know, involves making investments, whether it's, you know, for the planet, our employees, it was baked into the cake. It would be, and I, and I will concede, that if you're an existing business and you're selling a product for X, yeah. it's hard just to raise the price of that product if consumers have been buying it for you know, say 10 bucks for yeah. 30 years and all of a sudden you want to raise it to 15 because you want to, you know. But it's for the environment. For the Even environment. Or, or it, it, that's, that's a harder yeah. move harder. to make. But if you're a new or young company, you just bake it in from the get-go and consumers never know the difference. Yeah. Um, which makes it, I think, easier for you to do. Uh, and also, to your point, Matt, it kind of serves as your North Star, right? It's, it's, the, it's woven into the DNA of your company. Mm. It's part of why you exist. Yeah. Um, so you do have to constantly remind yourself of it because it is, it is easy to fall into the trap of, you know, a, a, a bunch of small, tiny concessions all of a sudden can, can mean that you've gone off on a completely different Absolutely. rail than yeah. where you intended uh, than you intended to. Um, so you do have to always remind yourself of why you exist and, you know, in your mission and in everything, but so you um, just grab one of your bottles. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's yeah. plastered everywhere. You can't, you can't possibly true, forget, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know, you're always talking about it. Yeah. Um, so you, it is, you don't let yourself forget. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, our initial, you know, solar installation that we did on our, the original brewery here on this campus, um, we could, we, we could have, we could have purchased probably five new 60 barrel fermenters. And there was a the demand for the beer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I remember my brother and I having a conversation in my office of, you know, we're finally at a point, you know, we're successful enough that we have some some money to, to, to spend. Um, we've always wanted to do solar. You know, what do we do? Uh, and to us, it was, I wouldn't say it was a no brainer. We had a conversation, but there really wasn't much of a discussion. It was, really? yeah, we're going to do, we're going to do the solar. I mean, that's what, that's why we're... The reason why we we have some money is so that we can do things like exactly. this. And right, it's always a balance, right? Growth versus mm -hmm. you know, volume growth versus growing culture or growing other things. Um, 
But again, back to my point of if you just do the right thing and do it from an authentic place, beer drinkers or consumers see it. And one of the the, the unintended consequences uh, of us deciding to do that initial solar installation is people saw it. Yeah. People, yeah. they be, and they drive by, even the people that didn't stop and drink, <laughs> yeah. I would, I would bring people all over like, oh, I drove by your brewery and I saw these massive solar panels. Good for you guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it, you that's engender amazing. that goodwill. Again, that's not why we did it. No. But it was just that, it was, it was that just good consequence, unintended consequence of doing the right thing. And, yeah. it, you know, in, in, I think that, you know, if, if more businesses just realize them, the um, tremendous I mean, value in just being a good corporate citizen. Yeah. What that that can it's hard to quantify. Like, how much money am I going to get? Other investments you can quantify, right? Yeah. If I invest in a new fermenter and I sell it at X price, exactly. I know what that return is going to be. When we invested in the solar panels, and we weren't doing it because we thought we were going to sell more beer. We were doing it because it was who we were. But I have no doubt that we sold more beer because we put solar panels Absolutely. on our roof. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt, and we're and we're doing good for the environment. That's that's the win win. Like, that, yeah, yeah, how's that, that not feel good? Like, right? How's know? that not feel like the place to keep putting energy? Yeah, as, exactly. as we go, or you know, you can't quantify. You know, you know, you pay your employees well, you give them health insurance, give them a retirement plan. Yeah, I can't quantify what the return on yeah. that investment is. I don't know exactly, yeah. but I can tell you that people are going to they like working here. They they are passionate um, about the mission of the company. So it, it, this is all a way to, to try to convince other people that even if you don't, like, even if you don't give two shits about the environment, do it because it's good for business. If that's how I'm going to appeal to you and get it done, I don't we'll care. Take I don't it. give yeah, a shit. Yeah. I don't care about your motivation yeah. for doing it. If it's just I want to make more money, or I actually care about the environment, or it's a combination of the two, but, it doesn't matter to me. Just yeah. let's do it. Um, and so I, 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 you try to meet people where they are, you know. And yeah, so if yeah, I can't yeah. appeal to you on a moral level. I'll, peer to, I'll try to appeal to you on a purely monetary financial level. Yeah. So it's just, it's good for your, it's good for your company. Yeah. Yeah. Making all could, those investments. Maybe we could get some like nuclear, uh, nuclear plant in, in the Milo field there. Yeah. You know, it would be pretty obvious. Chernobyl never came. We yeah. probably would have yeah. been far yeah. down the line on nuclear energy, which is very clean. Um, but, it, but in all seriousness, um, that's, uh, it's all amazing, amazing to hear. And just one last thing before we, a second to last thing. We end the same way every time with something really dumb. But um, <laughs> I can't wait for that. Can't yeah. wait. <laughs> that's, a, that's an awfully good teaser. Sounds great. We're good at this. Um, but is there any when you talk about how active a role you take in in trying to champion those values? You you must have seen it kind of come to fruition tangibly with certain businesses that I wouldn't put the words in your mouth to say mentored or kind of led by example for or but is there any any changes i guess from how you've operated that you've seen tangibly spill over into someone else's business yeah oh yeah I, i'll have people and again this is another one of the you know in addition to having people enjoy your beer like watching them that's incredibly rewarding another yeah. really rewarding thing is having another small business owner come up and say Either a, I joined one percent for the planet because you guys did, yeah. Or wow. you know, I, I modeled my company. They may not even be in the beer business, and not, quite often they're not. There's a local construction company. Oh, that's amazing! Around even here, that's crazy. They joined one percent. Like, I saw what you did. Uh, we joined one percent for the planet. Wow. Um, so it spills out. It's not. It, that's it's not brewery industry specific. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it doesn't happen every day, but 
I'm like, yeah, that that's awesome because that's again, that was the prime motivator for starting this company. It wasn't necessarily to make beer. It was to change people's the way that people acted yeah. and the way that, you know, business business acted. Um, so yeah, it definitely, I, I get people coming up to me, um, and saying, oh, thanks, you know, and I'll say it wasn't, you know, I, we didn't, I'm not going to take all the credit here. We didn't invent this. There were all people that came before it was me. All Yvonne. <laughs> yeah. It kind of all, right. Uh, Don't in some ways it probably does all go back to, you know, to his, you know, crazy ideas of starting an outerwear company. Um, but, uh, in, in, you know, doing it the way that he did, but, um, <laughs> So yeah, we, 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 I, I definitely do. And it's, that's, um, again, that's, that's one of the, the, the great things about, um, doing what we do is, is getting to hear those stories and. Oh yeah. Ah, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot, Cause lot you know, it can reasons. be a drag sometimes. I mean, as much as people think brewing is a glamorous, glamorous Glamour life. wears off pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, there are days, you know, when the, the power goes out ah. or, you know, there, there's, it's a grind, you know? Ah, so yeah. you. It's it's great to hear you know that other people appreciate what you're doing whether it's, whether that's the way that you're running your company or the the quality of the beer you're making or or whatever. When the power does go out, can you be like, "Fuck you, we got solar." <laughs> well, we don't have enough battery space. Oh, yeah. Come on, Elon. That's, all, we that, need that's this. a whole Elon, other issue. Go. Yeah, I know. We're working on it. We're working on it. I was it. hoping that that was kind of the the sweet, sweet, uh, yeah, sweet middle. We, the yeah, green we, middle. We've finger. got all the lights on, and all the yeah. neighbors are dark. <laughs> yeah, turn more lights on. Yeah, we turned more lights on. Could be you. Could be you. Um, but this this was awesome. Um, there's uh. You've been super generous with your time, especially after we had to record the first like 10 minutes twice. Uh, so sorry again about that. I hope you guys didn't even notice. Yeah, hopefully. Well, now um, they do. Yeah, <laughs> sold you out to whoever's still listening. Authentic. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's right. But Matt can explain this stupid bullshit I was telling you a little bit about, then I'll give you your scenario. It's called the three bay. A lot of these conversations, sometimes they go down the technical rabbit hole. Sometimes they're, they're very serious and exhausting. It's a fun way to get outside of what the lens of the conversation was and do this kind of like free association type, um, just loose at the end. And, and sometimes that's where you get the best example of like a person's personality yeah. when, they're, when they're doing this fun little goofy stuff. So it's called the three bay, as I'm sure you know well. We're going to give you... <laughs> Like what a three bay sink is. We're gonna give you three things. Okay. That you are gonna have to pair with another three things. They're generally sometimes will be like you take three of your beers and like a matching. Them, yeah. Okay. Put them with this and it's a association and then you tell us why. Yeah. I've Noah a, will key I've you a, up. You know bachelor's in psychology so i'm kind of interested <laughs> in mind um but you are a, at least a pretty avid golfer right yep okay oh yeah okay golfing. good mm -hmm. good wanted to that's pretty... not good golfer but oh you're a handicap, handicap, avid golfer. I broke 90 for the first time this year and i'm Dude, that's awesome your handicap has nothing to do with with what i'll ask you thankfully um but so i'm going to give you three famous golf courses um let's go with uh tpc sawgrass you know the famous famous island hole you can't not mention Pebble Beach, one of yep. the kind of the most iconic courses in, in the U.S. And then Bethpage Black, one mm. of kind of the notorious hardest courses. Yep. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, U.S. Opens there on the reg. Um, and then I'm going to throw back to I, I don't I, I honestly haven't been in the tasting room in a minute, but I know in your in your first iteration of the tasting room here um, behind the bar was pretty much every 
old macro beer can that ever existed. Yeah, it's my uncle's beer can collection. Yeah, and I <laughs> loved it. And and clearly, like anyone, pretty much has some version of a soft spot in their heart for for macros. It just depends oh, yeah. usually on where it's you're from. Of, it's a time and place for everything. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we say exactly. that. We literally say that all the time. So, um, if you you could pick a single macro beer any type to drink at each one of these courses so one beer per course wow and gotta tell us why yeah i told you bachelor's in psychology man I'm <laughs> okay there. well uh so do i have to do them in order you can no. do however you however want, you want yep. at this point uh, it's all you now pebble beach uh macro i guess anchor steam doesn't count does it as an old macro <laughs> If it was on your wall, it can count. Uh, I don't that? know if they put their beer in cans. Yeah, I don't think they did. Um, Beth Page Black, Black Label. Oh, oh easy. Great. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Home run. Smooth uh, sailing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then let's do TPC Sawgrass. Jeez. Uh, um, which one would that be? Uh, man. Old Macro. TPC Sawgrass. I'm going to go... What's that? Oh, Is that a sorry. bead of sweat? Just, you're sweating. Yeah, you're sweating out of the hot floor. I'm, 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 over, I'm overthinking it, I think. Uh, I would do Genesee. Oh, uh, yeah. For no other reason than when I was a kid, my neighbor's dad would drink Genesee while he was mowing the lawn. So yeah. I think sawgrass. Oh, yeah. So, the so lawn. Yeah. It would stand to reason the green. I don't know that I have to explain like, my thought no, process. I love it. Sawing the grass, mowing the lawn. <laughs> yes. I like it. Gen- yep. Genesee. I love it. And I would uh, imagine a refreshing, refreshing beverage to drink at the turn. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, and then what do we have left? Pebble Beach. Mm-hmm. Ooh, Pebble Beach, man. What would that be? Um, man, that's a tough one. I love that course. I've never played that course. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Pebble Beach, Pebble Beach. How about, uh, I don't know. I'm stumped on Pebble Beach. I'd go Corona. But that's not, a, not I, old, I thought about that, but it's Find not, it's, it's an import. Picture yourself there. <laughs> picture yourself on playing it for the yeah. first time. What do you picture in your bag somehow? I guess you probably, you know, it'd probably be one of those beers. But. No, no, I mean, no, I'm not on the golf course. I like, uh, I'll go with, I'll go with PBR. Hell yeah. Mm. Hell yeah. I guess it would be a little pretentious to only bring your own 500 mil bottles <laughs> of beer. To Especially to California. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, I'm a little no, too PBR, good for PBR. society. Thank like, you very much. Uh, I, I, I enjoy PBR, but Pebble Beach PBR. Oh, there it is. Man, uh, always oh, one um, step ahead of me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, that was that was tough. That was the hardest part of this whole damn thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> great. That's, that's great. Great news then. We will continue to do it one more week. Um, Dan, thank you so much, man, for the time. This Absolutely. was a blast for me. And, um, this is great. I'm glad we finally got to, to hook up and... Yeah, me too. And if you, it's told- a crazy, crazy thing about this world is you know, especially now, but even before this, we're often way too busy to get out and hang out with each other as as brewers and brewery owners. Yeah. We're always in our own bubble, whether it's our brewery. Yeah, COVID's or- just given us an excuse. Basically, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of ironic that yeah, that we're actually like sitting down and yeah. having a, during that we're doing this. a longer conversation than we've had in a long time. Yeah, uh, and during they, this they, period of time, I I have noticed. It's funny you say that because I've really noticed. I I have definitely gotten. Um, more of just a pep from the conversation on its own than I, you know, than I was in March when we were yep. doing this. It was yeah. still a ton of fun, but it's just a different, different thing now. It has, I don't know, holds a little more weight sure, for whatever absolutely. reason because it's yeah. not as as common. But, but yeah, um, we'll let you get out of here. Thanks again. Hey, thanks yeah. for coming, guys. Thank you. Cheers. Next week, Rob Todd. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the mood.